all praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guiding us, for protecting us, keeping us, bestowing His mercy upon us and keeping us protected and guided. And were it not for Him having guided us, we would not have been guided. And we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and upon his family and his progeny and his companions and his wives and all those that followed them in their ways. Jazakumullah khairan for coming to the Mihrab Foundation Sacred Knowledge class on the 99 names of Allah. <clears throat> this week we arrive at the name Al-Muqsit. Muqsit with a ta at the end. Oh, mashallah. Uh, so this name means the equitable, meaning the one who, it, to understand it, it's the one that demands justice. So this is slightly different from previous names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, like Al-Adl, for example, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the just one. This is one that, this means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Adl means that Allah ta'ala is just. But Al-Muqsit means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands justice as well. So He demands justice on behalf of the wronged from the ones that wronged that individual. From on, be, uh, on behalf of the wronged, on behalf of the oppressed, against the oppressor. Or He demands justice from the oppressor. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Qur'an, وَإِنْ حَكَمْتَ That if you, if you judge, فَحْكُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ بِالْقِسْطِ Then judge between them with justice. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who are just. So the actual name Al-Muqsit, this doesn't actually come in the Qur'an. But there's references to it through the same, the same root word. So for example, Allah ta'ala says, Bil-Qist. Same root word, Qist. Or He says, Muqsitin, those that are just. And so Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has perfection in linking the satisfaction of the wrongdoer and the satisfaction of the oppressor to the satisfaction of the oppressed. Meaning when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands justice, and justice is not necessarily going to happen in this world. The day of judgment is the day of justice. Sometimes we will have justice in this world. But true justice will not come until the day of judgment. Right? So, and that is the day that nobody will be wronged. But what does this name mean? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is He telling us, what is He informing us of the, by this name? He's informing us that just as the oppressor feels satisfaction in, their, in the oppression that they commit, in the evil that they commit, and you've got to assume that those who oppress, they feel some satisfaction in it. Right? So you see world leaders, for example, that they, you know, um, when they enact whatever violence and, and treachery to the people that they are ruling over, then they go extreme, right? They are treacherous in that. And they must feel some type of satisfaction after oppressing the people that they are ruling over or the people that they have authority over. And that's why they continue doing it. If you're in a position with that much authority and that much power, 
and you don't feel satisfaction or you feel, uh, you feel discontent or you actually feel some heartache for the killing or the oppression that's happening, you're simply going to stop, right? So Fir'aun, for example, he was killing you know, uh, every male child one year and leaving one male child every other year. He was content in that judgment and in that judgment of his. That's why he continued doing it. If he wasn't satisfied, if he felt bad, if he felt some compassion, then he would have stopped because he was in a position to stop. Right? Whereas you might have those individuals that are carrying out on behalf of the command of the ruler. They might be carrying out some injustice, but they're in a difficult situation. Some of them stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do it. And they suffer the consequences. Other times, they're just trying to keep a job. Right? And so they're caught in a difficult situation as well. Uh, but you know, we should, Allah Ta'ala protect us from being in that situation, but we should always try to rise to the occasion and stand up against the oppression. Because on a side note, Rasulullah was asked that what is the greatest jihad? Right? Nobody freak out. That, you know, he said the J word. Like, if we're in the masajid, people would have freaked out. You know? But it's okay, we have nothing to hide. So he was asked, what is the greatest jihad? Right? Ayyu jihad in afdal. And the Prophet said, Kalimatu haqqin inda inda ja'irihi. That a word of truth in the face of an oppressor. That is the most, that is the greatest form of jihad. And you can understand how absolutely difficult that must be. That in the face of a tyrant, you stand up and speak the truth. Anyway, that's a side note. So the person who is oppressing, they feel some type of satisfaction in their oppression. So what does this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demand? That justice is served. In that, just as much satisfaction as the oppressor had in carrying out the, the treachery, the person who was wronged will be compensated with the same amount of satisfaction. The same of, uh, amount of satisfaction. And this ultimate justice and equity, this is, not, this is not possible for anyone. No one is capable of this except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's a hadith Qudsi that Imam Ghazali rahimullah brings. And so we'll read it. He says that an example, an example of this may be found in what is related of the Prophet ﷺ, that once while he was seated, he laughed so that his teeth showed. Right? So Rasulullah didn't used to laugh with, uh, with noise, typically. And he used to, generally, he used to smile. But there were certain instances that he would smile to the point that his molars would show. And so when that would happen, the Sahaba would, would uh, take note of it because it was something you know, out of the ordinary that Rasulullah was smiling so, so wide because he was always so concerned about the Ummah and the state of people. It says that, um, till his teeth showed. And Umar radiallahu anhu said, my father, May my father and mother be your ransom, O Messenger of God. What is it that made you laugh? He وسلم, said, Two men from my community fell on their knees before the Lord of power. And one of them said, O Lord, let this one make restitution to me for the way he has wronged me. Right? Let him compensate me and give me for, uh, for the way that he has wronged me. And God, great and glorious, said, Make restitution to your brother for the wrong you did to him. And he said, O Lord, I have no good deeds left. So he said, So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the great and glorious, said to the petitioner, How will you manage with your brother since he has no good deeds left? And that individual who was wronged, he said, O oh Lord, let him relieve me of some of my burden of sin. So let him take my sin away. Because Yawmul Qiyamah, you might have wronged somebody, with, you might have stolen their wealth, you might have done whatever in this life. Yawmul Qiyamah, what is, the, what is the currency of the day? It is your a'mal, it is your deeds. Our deeds, our actions, our good deeds and our sins. That is the 
currency of the day. And there's no other trading that's going to happen except with those things. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will tell the oppressor that you wronged this person, so now he demands justice, now you give him. He says, Ya Allah, I have no deeds left to give, I have no good deeds left. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then asks the one petitioning, so what, what will you do? How will you take from your brother? And the petitioner says, then let him take some of my sins away. <clears throat> uh, let him remove some of my burden of sin. Then the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa began to weep. And he said, what a mighty day that will be when people will need others to relieve them of their burdens. He went on to say, so God great and glorious said to the one who had been wronged, lift your eyes and look into paradise. And he said, O Lord, I see cities of silver and palaces of gold decorated with pearls, for which prophets, righteous, the prophets, the righteous, uh, for which of the prophets, righteous ones, or martyrs is this? The Lord great and glorious said, This belongs to whomever pays the price. And he said, O Lord, who can come up with such a sum? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, It is in your power. The petitioner asks, But how, Allah? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers, By forgiving your brother. And he said, O Lord, I have already forgiven him. So God, great and glorious, said, Take your brother by the hand and lead him into paradise. Then the Prophet wasallam said, Fear God and make peace among yourselves. For Allah, may he be blessed and exalted, will make peace among the faithful on the day of resurrection. So that is the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that just as this individual was wronged and there was nothing left for him to receive on the day of judgment, right? He said, O Allah, let him remove some of my sins from me. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, let me give you something better. Why? Because Allah ta'ala wants to satisfy that person. Just as the oppressor was satisfied, the amount of satisfaction that, gave, that, that came to the oppressor in this world, and the amount of dissatisfaction that came to the oppressed in this world, Allah ta'ala wants to compensate that in the akhirah. That just as you felt that much anguish in the world, let me give you that much reward for it, and that much, uh, uh, replace it with that, something that much better in the akhirah. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows this great and glorious paradise and the individual says, how can I have it? And Allah says, forgive your brother. And then when he says, I've forgiven him, then Allah says what? Take him by the hand and walk into paradise together. And so Rasulullah s.a.w. then advises us saying that fear Allah and make peace amongst yourselves. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make peace among the faithful on the day of resurrection. So if we don't make peace with others in this world, if we are the ones that wrong somebody, Allah ta'ala will take our right back. And don't think it's a simple thing that we sit at that moment and that individual uh, you know, just says like, okay, I forgive you, now let's walk into paradise together. The awe of standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be enough to kill a man. Right? It will not be bearable. The only thing that's going to sustain us is the fact that nobody dies at that moment. Otherwise, definitely that, otherwise, definitely that amount of anguish would have caused death to an individual. Right. Is there a class? There's no class, right? right? Otherwise, it would have caused that much. It would have caused death to people on that day. And so the Prophet ﷺ tells us that make peace with people in this world. Otherwise, Allah Ta'ala will make peace between you on the day of judgment. And there will be those that will take their right back from us on the day of judgment. Right? Perhaps there will be those that might, they might want that, uh, that exchange to happen. You know? And if they are not those people that say, okay, I forgive you, let's walk into paradise. What if they say, no? I want, I want you to remove my sins. Then we don't have that guarantee at that moment of walking to paradise with them, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. So Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he says that those who have a share in this name, they demand, what is, they demand justice first and foremost from who? 
first and foremost from themselves. Those who have a share in this name, Al-Muqsit, they first and foremost demand justice from themselves. Meaning if they have wronged somebody, they demand justice. And this was the way of the Sahaba. Right? What happened? Two companions. One, I don't remember. One time it was Umar and Abu Bakr. Another time it was someone else in Abu Bakr. I don't recall who the other one was. But there was a couple of instances. And uh, they, had a, they had a dispute. And Abu Bakr, he said, he said some word of insult. I mean, they were, they were human at the end of the day. So he said a word of insult during the dispute to, to uh, the person he was disputing with. And then immediately he felt remorse. So what did Abu Bakr say? He said, say something to me. You insult me now. Because I want you to take my right from me back in this world. I don't want to be accountable for it in the day, on the day of judgment. And when the Sahabi said, no, I'm not going to do that. Then Abu Bakr said, if you don't, I'm going to go and tell the Prophet <laughs> And he went and he told Rasulullah This man won't take my right back from me. <laughs> But the Prophet ﷺ, he had so much love for Abu Bakr and Abu Bakr had so, such a high status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Prophet ﷺ, instead of, you know, Allah alam, what, what may have exchanged between them, right? But at least openly, what did Rasulullah say? He told the companions that, will you not leave my friend alone? Right? And so that is the way of the, that's what, that's what, you know, many of the Sahaba were like, and this is what is meant here, that they demand justice first and most, foremost, foremost from themselves. Then, for others, right? So if you see injustice happening between two, you demand that w- the one who was in the wrong, uh, uh, th- that you bring justice on behalf of the one who was wronged, right? From the one who did the wrong. But they are forbearant in demanding justice from other people on behalf of themselves. So they are forbearant. So what? They are, the, they are first in demanding justice for the wrongs they themselves have committed. Then, they demand justice when they see wrong between two and other individuals. And lastly, they are forbearant, meaning they do not go and necessarily demand justice for the way that they were wronged, but they are forbearant and they are patient in demanding it for themselves. And this is the share that we may have from, Allah subhanahu, from, uh, from this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any questions regarding that? So the next name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Jami'ah. So Al-Jami'ah means the uniter. Jama'ah yajma'u. Jam'un. It means uh, the one who gathers or brings together or unites. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ جَامِعُ النَّاسِ لِيَوْمٍ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ That our Lord, indeed, you are the gatherer, jami'un nas. You are the gatherer of people on the day that that which there is no doubt in it, meaning the day of judgment, no doubt that it's going to happen. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not go back on His promise, meaning Allah ta'ala has promised that there will be a day of judgment where He will gather everyone. And so Imam Ghazali rahimullah, says something interesting here. He says that, how is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jami'? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is jami' because He combines similar things, he, combi- he combines dissimilar things, and He combines opposites as well that he gathers all of these things together. He, combine, he gathers similar things together, how? By bringing human beings together on this earth, right? Also gathering the distinguished together on the day of judgment. So those who were, for example, you know, there's eight doors of Jannah, uh, eight doors of Jannah, eight doors, eight gates to paradise. And each door will have, you know, will be by virtue of different actions. So for example, uh, the gate of fasting is called Rayan. 
right? And it is that gate that people who are engaged in a lot of fasting throughout their life and love to fast, then Allah Ta'ala will enter them into paradise through that gate. And there's other gates as well. And so Allah Ta'ala gathers the distinguished together on the Day of Judgment. Meaning, all of those, for example, who loved to fast and fasted a lot, He will gather them all together and allow them to enter. Similarly, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, the Prophet said, مَن تَشَبَّهَ بِقَوْمٍ فَهُوَ مِنْهُمْ That whoever resembles a people, he is like them, he is from them. And so, you know, usually people take this to understand that they, they understand it in a negative light. That if you resemble a, a, a sinful nation, a sinful people, you know, you act like them, you dress like them, you take part in the activities they take part in, you will be raised, you will be with them. It is as though you are one of them. And that is who you will be with on the Day of Judgment. But there's also a positive spin to this. If we aspire to be like the companions of Rasulullah we love the Sunnah. We love to adorn ourselves with the Sunnah. We love to fulfill the Sunnah actions that Rasulullah used to do. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would gather us with the Anbiya and the companions as well. So there's a positive spin to that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment, He, is, he brings the distinguished together, right? Or like those that get, uh, are, will be given the shade on the day of judgment. All those people who did things that was not the typical nature of people in their position. So the youth that love to be pious and be in the masjid. The ruler who was just, right? These things are not usually what you find. The youth, they're usually not into going to the masjids and whatnot. They're usually into a whole bunch of other things, right? Not controlling their, their nufus. The rulers, usually there's a whole lot of oppression and injustice that happens from the side of rulers. So when you have somebody who goes against the grain and does those actions which Allah Ta'ala loves and is pleased with and is in His obedience, Allah Ta'ala will gather all of them together under the shade on the Day of Judgment. Similarly, in this dunya, Allah Ta'ala has gathered the people in different places as well, right? How does he combine dissimilar things? So Imam Ghazali, he says, Well, Allah Ta'ala unites the heavens, the stars, the air, the earth, the sea, the animals, the plants, all the diverse minerals. In our very bodies, Allah Ta'ala brings together bones and blood and veins and skin and muscle and tissue. He brings all of these, right? The sinew and whatnot, those things that hold the tissue and bones and muscle, all that stuff together. Allah Ta'ala brings all of that together as well. All of those things, bone and blood are two different things. Yet Allah Ta'ala has combined it all within our bodies. He's brought it all together. What about opposites? Opposites is Allah Ta'ala, within the body, for example, unites, brings together heat and cold, dry and wet things, right? It, within the physical constitution of people and animals, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala brings these different things together, right? Opposites usually don't go together. What happens? You guys ever done the science experiment, mix water and oil together in a jar? What happens? Usually it's after some time, it will separate out, right? One will sit on top of the other depending on its density. But within our bodies, Allah Ta'ala brings all this together. How can you combine something wet and dry together? It doesn't make sense, right? It's almost like the concept of an object, uh, expecting an object to move and be stationary at the same time. Something is either wet or it's dry. You, you can say, oh, it's damp, so it's like a little wet, but it's still on the wet side, right? It's not dry. For if it wasn't damp, it would have been dry. But Allah Ta'ala brings all of these together within our bodies. And so the bringing together of opposite things, the bringing together of opposite things, this is the most expressive act of combining. That in this is a great miracle that shows it can only be done. It's such a great miracle. It's such a great action that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is able to do it. 
that we are not able to actually bring things that are complete opposites together in one and the same thing. Right? Now, the ulama, when speaking about this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they say that you know, we strive after excess eating, excess drinking, excess money. We think that our status will carry us on and keep us comfortable. We're comfortable in this life. We think that that status that we have, those comforts that we have, and that money and wealth that we have, that is going to keep us comfortable for all of eternity, within our very graves as well, right? Some people attribute their comfort to their intelligence, right? I think I've given an example sometime throughout the last like year and a half, probably multiple times. That one individual said to me what that there is, you know, uh, whatever you only believe because uh, you're afraid that there's nothing after you die. So I said that doesn't make sense. Because if I was afraid there was nothing after I die, like that would lead me to not believe, right? I flipped it on him. I said, I think you don't believe because you are afraid there is something after you die, right? And you don't want to be accountable. So what do you do? Is you try and negate any life after death. Anyway, the conversation went on. And uh, I said, you know what? If I'm wrong, I was, I was like a kid at this time. I was a teenager. He goes, I said, if I'm wrong, at least I'll have lived a moral life, Right? Well, what if you're wrong? What are you going to do? And he said, well, just like when I'm driving a car and something comes out onto the road in front of me and I have to make a decision right then and, then, right then and there what to do, if there's something after we die, it'll be like something coming on the road unexpected and I'll make a decision. So you think your intelligence will get you through on that day. It's too late. Allah already told us by then it's too late. If you didn't believe by then, it's over. No going back at, at, at that moment. Right? So we think that these things are going to keep us comfortable. But when our soul is uncaged, when we are placed into the ground and our soul is uncaged, the dream will end. And we will realize the only thing that is with us, the only thing that is with us is our deeds. And so the ulama bring this discussion because we are discussing what? Al-Jami'ah, the one who combines and unites. So we have to understand that the only thing we have in this world and the Akhirah is our deeds. That's the only thing that is going to stay with us. Our wealth will leave us. Our family will leave us. The only thing that our status will leave us, the only thing that's going to stay with us is our deeds. And so it's important that we pay heed to the deeds that we commit. <clears throat> so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will gather us on the Day of Judgment. Another you know, meaning of this name, Al-Jami' is that He is the one that gathers us on the Day of Judgment. So it doesn't matter how spread out we are, how much our bones are crushed, if somebody uh, cremates themselves and spreads it out across the land and the wind and whatnot, Allah Ta'ala is going to gather all of that. He said surah, in Surah Yasin and other places as well, they asked Allah Subhanahu wa, they asked the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so what, you're saying that when we are bones and dust, we will be brought back? Right? It's one of the last verses of Surah, surah Yasin. And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, well, just like Allah Ta'ala initiated it in the first place, it's easy to bring it, it's even easier to bring it back. It would have been easier for uh, any individual. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is no easier or more difficult. Everything is easy to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's, not easy, it's, like, it's like so easy that easy is not even the right word because it denotes a comparison of difficulty. So even that is not appropriate to say regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But, you know, insan is limited in, its, in his language to, to describe. Now, <clears throat> also this, some, of the, some of the ulama say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gathers what is heavy and what is light in the same thing as well. 
And an um, example that comes to mind is, is the Qur'an, is Iman as well, right? That, for, or for example, right, La ilaha illallah. There's a whole discussion about the, the actual phrase, La ilaha illallah. That all the letters Allah Ta'ala has used are light letters. They're very easy to say on the tongue, right? Even Allah is very easy to say on the tongue, right? There's, I mean, sometimes children, I know children, their first word, their first word because their parents taught it to them was Allah. Right? Because it's something easy to say. Right? But what is our creed? La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. Muhammad Rasulullah is actually difficult words, difficult letters. Right? Muhammad, there's like shadda in it, and the ha is difficult to pronounce and all that. So this tells us that this is a combination of what is difficult, what is heavy, and what is light at the same time. Iman is easy for us to believe, but to hold on to it, we will be tested. Right? So there's different variations in understanding of even La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah that this is just something that came to my mind from a discussion uh, from before um, so I won't go into detail about it but uh, you know for example going believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is easy but following in the sunnah of Rasulullah might be difficult and the life and the way of Rasulullah might be difficult right? that's why the Prophet said that what you know um, uh, whoever bi-sunnati in the fasadi ummati that whoever holds firm to my sunnah and this is not one sunnah but this is a holistic the entire sunnah at the time of fitna and fasad in my ummah falahu ajratu ajaru mi'ati shahidin that for that individual is the reward of a hundred martyrs because it's difficult to hold on to the sunnah anyway so Imam Ghazali he goes on he says that we have to unite and integrate the external behavior of the limbs with the inner realities of the heart. We have to have this consistency with what, of what is in our heart and what is manifest on our limbs. So if we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we love Rasulullah we have to allow that to shine through and shine stronger and more powerful than the darkness that is in our heart. Because the darkness in our heart, that is what leads our limbs to sin. So we have to bring this uniformity between our heart and our limbs so that that iman and that beautiful thing that is in our hearts manifests itself onto the limbs and then we become those individuals that Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about those individuals who Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said what? Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimun Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimun min yadihi That a Muslim is what? The one who other Muslims are safe from his hand and his tongue. Right? On a side note, although, although the Prophet said that a Muslim is the one who Muslims are safe, uh, who other Muslims are safe, this doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's negating non-Muslims. That, oh, so you can, you know, you can like uh, harm a non-Muslim with your tongue or your hand. No, the, the ulama say the reason the Prophet mentioned Muslims here is because he was, he was in Medina Munawwara at the time, and it was a land that was practically entirely Muslim, and so... That was the audience sort of that he was speaking to. But by extension, it definitely does extend without doubt to the non-Muslims as well. Right? So we have to bring these two things together. And so Imam Ghazali says that this person's knowledge is perfect and his behavior is admirable. His knowledge is perfect because knowledge is something that is in the mind, it is something that is in the heart. And so his behavior is also admirable. So that uniformity, conformity between what is in our heart and what is on our limbs. He says that uniting steadfastness with insight is difficult. 
Some, you have those that are steadfast in piety and asceticism, but they lack insight. And you have those who have insight, but they lack steadfastness, right? And um, it's difficult to have both, right? To keep that piety and steadfastness and insight, right? Be, to not become despondent of what is to come, you know? For example, people are afraid now, right? People are afraid of what's happening around us now. So some might throw in the towel and be like, yeah, forget it, whatever, it's not worth it. Despite having, but those people, there's others that will stay steadfast despite having the insight of what is likely to come. You know, some people a month ago were saying like, yeah, nothing's going to happen. It's all going to be the same. People are freaking out for no reason. Other people were like, man, things are going to get bad. <laughs> okay, it's going to get tough. But you have to have that steadfastness and know that it's a limited, it's for a limited time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make a way out. Now, Imam Zayi says something else. He says that this individual does not let the light of knowledge put out the light of piety. What does that mean? So we're speaking about jamia, combining, right? So he does not let the light of knowledge put out the light of piety. Now, I don't think I fully understood this even. So anyone else want to take a stab at it? You know, go ahead. <laughs> but, yeah. So is it like, kind of like what philosophy does? Sometimes you read like something really philosophical and it sort of negates something that you've been told about Islam. So then that knowledge kind of puts out your iman a little bit. Uh, possibly, possibly, but I think Imam Ghazali is speaking, pro he's probably speaking more on a sacred knowledge level, um, but that is, that could be one way of understanding it, right, because those are types, those are knowledges as well, but perhaps, you know, sometimes when you learn something, like you learn the correct way to do something, right, you guys ever heard of the concept, uh, there's fatwa and there's taqwa, right, so sometimes there's the fatwa and you're like, yeah, this is, permissible, but the taqwa of it would be to refrain from it anyway, that perhaps that is what Imam Ghazali is speaking about. That you have knowledge of something, and yet you don't allow that to stop you from being more pious. Right? So some people take, for example, like halal food, right? People will take it very easy. You know, they'll take it very easy that, oh, whatever, just, uh, you know, you don't know that it's haram and this and that and whatever, the other thing. And there's different principles and there's discussions amongst the ulama about these things, right? So not to, like, knock down any one idea or photo or whatever, but, you know, sometimes you bring up a concept, like you bring up, a, you know, the way, like, of Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, rahimullah, or somebody of a pious saint of the past and the taqwa they showed regarding halal and haram food or whatever it might have been. And an individual then will say, like, well, you know, you can't get that much piety anyway. If you want to be that pious, then be pious all the way, right? And like, you know, like, uh, what is it? Like he, some incident happened and, and he didn't eat from the sea for like seven years because of a stolen fish or something like that. And that was the length of, you know, that was the life of the lifespan of the fish and this, that, and thing. It's like, no, that's, that's ridiculous. Like, you, you know, you're not going to reach the level of piety. Chances are you're not going to reach the level of piety of Imam Muhammad bin Hanbal, rahimullah, or people of that time, right? But the pious of that time. But it doesn't mean you give up altogether, right? Or you learn, even you learn things about your salah, you learn things, whatever it might be, any given situation. What is, you know, sometimes there's loopholes in the deen also, right? There's loopholes. So you learn the loopholes, and so it's like technically your action is valid, but it's not looked, it's like looked down upon by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Or we say like, oh, it's only makru. It's only disliked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's the big deal in that? That is a big deal, Right? So perhaps that's what Imam Ghazali means, that we, we are able to combine the light of knowledge with the light of piety, 
right? And that it should propel us to be, our knowledge should propel us to be more pious. Any comments or questions about that? Okay, so we have, we have time to go on to, to a couple more names, inshallah. Uh, the last two names I wanted to speak about today was Al-Ghani and Al-Mughni. So these are two names that are brought together. Typically, all, all the ulama who speak about these, this topic, they bring these two names together, Ghani and Mughni. So Ghani is the rich, and Mughni is the enricher. However, that's not, uh, Ghani meaning rich is not entirely, it doesn't give us the complete accurate scope of the name. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, وَاللَّهُ الْغَنِيُّ وَأَنْتُمُ الْفُقَرَاءِ Ghina means independence, by virtue of self-sufficiency. So the opposite of that is faqr, poverty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if, if you guys ever read in a translation of Qur'an, وَاللَّهُ الْغَنِيُّ And you, you read like, Allah ta'ala is rich, that's not an entirely accurate translation. What's better is to say Allah ta'ala is independent. Allah ta'ala is self-sufficient. That is what is a more appropriate translation of Wallahu al-Ghani wa antum al-Fuqara. And not that you are poor, you are needy. So Allah Ta'ala is independent and you are dependent. So Imam Uzali he says that the rich one is one who has no connection or dependency on another. No connection, no dependency on another thing, on anything else. Right? And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala, He transcends connection with everything other than Himself. Allah Ta'ala is not connected to anything else. Allah Ta'ala is not sufficed by anything. There is nothing sustaining Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala except Himself. Right? So, if someone depends on things outside of oneself, then his existence and his perfection depend on, depend on those things. Right? If someone depends on something outside, if you depend on something outside of yourself, your existence and your perfection, if you think you have reached perfection, is dependent on those other things. Like essentially, you are actually dependent upon them, thus you are not, you are not rich, you are not uh, ghani, you are a faqir, you are poor, you are actually dependent. So, we've spoken about this before as well, the kings and whatnot of the past, right? The rulers even of today. You think you're independent? No, you are dependent on the, um, you are dependent on the submissiveness, on the, uh, what's it called? The subordination of those that are uh, below you. You are dependent upon everybody obeying you, not breaking your laws. You are dependent on the people not rebelling. You are dependent on the army to keep everyone in check if they rebel. You are dependent on those who you loathe, like those who collect the garbage and whatnot. And not, not to say like those people are, loath- are like lowly people. But society thinks of it as something, you know, uh, unfit, unworthy, unbecoming of an individual. Whereas all of society is dependent on those people. Think about it. Those things that you would never ever think to, to you know, aspire to become because of how lowly we think it might be, we are absolutely dependent on those people. Imagine the garbage men. Like, what if there weren't any? What would happen? <laughs> right? We wouldn't really be living in a clean society, right? So everything becomes dependent on, on each other, right? On other things. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is truly the only being that is Transcendent above dependency on anything else and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is self-sufficient. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ghani. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also the enricher. He's mughni. He's the one who gives riches. He's the one who enriches other people. So the one who is needy but possesses everything, right? The one who is needy but possesses everything he needs is figuratively rich, right? So you might have a wealthy person. 
They've got everything that they need. They are figuratively rich because they are dependent on those things. So the truly rich one is one who has no need of anything at all. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? True riches, Imam al says, true riches are knowledge and faith. Knowledge and faith. Those are the actual things of wealth. We are, he says, we are tested with wealth and poverty. And he says that the conditions are not important, but submission is what matters. So we are tested. Some people will have a lot of wealth, and they are. That is their test. Some people will be in poverty. That is their test. Their condition isn't what's important, whether they are wealthy or whether they are in poverty. What is important is the submission that they have to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says, uh, or, or the other ulama who speak about this topic, they say that it is difficult for the rich people to be humble, and it is difficult for the poor to accept their status and be generous. It's difficult for the rich to be humble and the poor, it's difficult for them to accept their status of being poor. It's difficult for the poor to be generous, but it is easy for the poor to be devout. And usually you find who? What, what, did, the, what did the Quraysh say to Rasulullah when he first brought the da'wah of Islam? Oh, he has the weak and the poor that follow him. Right? Always, you look through all the stories of the prophets. Those who were in, in status, who had a lot of status, who had a lot of wealth, who were in power and authority, almost always they were the last ones to accept, if they even accepted at all. So those that are poor, because they have more humility within themselves. They have different tests, they have, but they have more humility, and so it is easier for the poor to be more devout. And so that devoutness might actually lead to them being more generous also. Right? And that's, you know, that's truly what shows generosity of someone. When they barely have anything and they still give. Generosity isn't a billionaire who gives a million dollars. Right? Someone's got a hundred billion dollars, they give it a million. Is that generous? Okay, to an extent. Like, it's good, you do it. You know, mashallah, like, guide you and whatnot, right? But, and Allah Ta'ala give us wealth to spend in the way that pleases Him also. But a million out of a hundred billion is not difficult because it's, it's like nothing to you. You're not even going to notice it. But the person who is living hand to mouth, you know, barely enough, like no savings at the end of the month, and yet they still give whatever little bit they have, that is true generosity. They say that the test for the rich is not simply humility, but it is also to be thankful through generosity. So we say that the rich find it difficult to be humble. So their test is not simply to be humble, but it is to be thankful by being generous. Giving out, show your thanks that Allah Ta'ala has given you by giving to others. Allah Ta'ala has enriched you, now you try to enrich others. The, the, the test for the poor is that they have to work hard and yet they still have to be satisfied with the condition that they're in. Don't be unthankful to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for the condition that you are in. He says that the, the poor who are not envious and yet accepting and still thankful are in reality rich. And the rich who are overly ambitious and miserly in reality, they are poor. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, in the Qur'an, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says something to the effect that who will loan Allah a beautiful loan? Allah ta'ala doesn't need a loan, but this is the way that Allah ta'ala says, uh, you know, asks the people to give sadaqah in the Qur'an. So the mushrikeen, they turned to, you know, they started saying that, oh, Allah is poor and we are rich. He's asking us for a loan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in response to this, He says, Ya yuhannas, antumul fuqara'u ilallahi wallahu huwal ghaniyul hamid. That, O mankind, you are dependent and you are needy to Allah, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is ghani. He is the self-sufficient, the independent one, the one whom all praise belongs to Him. 
Rasulullah said, so Imam Ghazali already mentioned that, uh, what is it? Um, that knowledge and faith are the true riches of an individual. Rasulullah said in a hadith, لَيْسَ الْغِنَى عَنْ كَثْرَةِ الْعَرْضِ وَلَكِنَّ الْغِنَى غِنَى النَّفْسِ That ghina, richness, is not the amassing of a whole lot of wealth and material. وَلَكِنَّ الْغِنَى غِنَى النَّفْسِ But ghina, to be rich, is to have contentment of the heart, contentment of the soul. That is true richness. And if you don't have that contentment, there's nothing that can bring that amount of contentment at all. Nothing will, if contentment is not there, you will not be able to buy contentment. You know, my father used to tell us a story when we were kids that, uh, you know, there's, sometimes you have, uh, you might have a king who's got a huge bed and a massive palace and the most comfortable mattress and the best sheets and everything. Yet when they lay down at night, they have such a difficult time sleeping and they need drugs and they need supplements and they need all these different types of things to sleep. And that lack of sleep, it drives them crazy. And yet the person who has nothing, but they work hard, they can put their head on a brick at night and they will sleep, the sound of sleep, and the king will be envious of that person who has nothing because of that sleep. Why? Because that, the sleep of one brought him contentment and the lack of sleep of the other brought discontentment. It brought craziness. Like you can get dementia for not sleep, you know, by having lack of sleep and all that stuff for an extended period of time can lead to those things. And yet, the contentment is not there and it cannot be bought for anything. It cannot be bought with anything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Quran, وَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ عَيْلَةً فَسَوْفَ يُغْنِيكُمُ اللَّهُ مِنْ فَضْلِهِ That if you fear poverty, then soon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will enrich you by His fadl, by His favor, insha'a, if He wishes. إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلِيمٌ حَكِيمٌ Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is omniscient and all-wise. So, one of the mashayikh, they said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He enriches His servants in two ways. He either helps them gain self-sufficiency through monetary growth, or he makes others self-sufficient by creating for them the environment which is clean, pure, and free of want and need for others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So either he actually gives them monetary growth, or he makes them self-sufficient by providing and creating an environment for them where they ha- that is clean and pure, and they have no need or want of anyone besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is that spiritual sufficiency, uh, that spiritual independence. Right Now, of course... Even if you have spiritual independence of others, you're still dependent upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But as Imam Huzayi said, that knowledge and faith, these are things that will actually go with you in the grave as well. They will go with you in the grave. And those things will benefit you. Your iman will benefit you. The knowledge that you had will benefit you because knowledge is the single most virtuous act that a person can do, right? Uh, generally speaking, the seeking of knowledge, this is greater than any, anything that a person might do. Anything. It's greater than the sadaqah you can give. It's greater than you know, uh, going out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's greater than giving dawah to other people. Knowledge. Why? Because Rasulullah said, I was only sent as a mu'allim, as a teacher. Right? And there's so many, there's a plethora of hadith regarding, uh, uh, regarding the seeking of knowledge and how virtuous a thing, uh, the thing is, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rasulullah s.a.w. said something to the effect that That there is nothing, Allah ta'ala has not been worshipped by anything greater and more virtuous than a holistic knowledge understanding of the deen. That doesn't mean like, you know, you gain that knowledge and now you stop praying, like you still have to do all that, right? 
So, but to show this highlights to us the importance of having knowledge. And knowledge should be an increase. It should, it should result in an increase of our faith. And then it brings us that contentment of the heart as well. How is it that Rasulullah was able to stand at Ta'if and say, Ya Allah, you know, I complain to you of my own inability and my own lack of strength. But Ya Allah, if you are not displeased with me, then I don't care what happens. How is he able to stand that? With, 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 he was bruised and bloodied. He'd been stoned. He had been, you know, uh, he said later that this was, Aisha narrated that Rasulullah said this was the most difficult day in the life of Rasulullah, the day he went to Ta'if. And yet he stood there before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said, I only complain to you about my lack of ability. And if you are not angry with me, then I have no, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, right? But then he went on, he said that, you know, but, but uh, goodness is more accommodating, afia is more accommodating for me, you know? This was his adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not, why are you doing this? Aren't, you know, I'm the prophet, don't you know, like, you're supposed to take care of me, now you're humiliating me. That's not what the Prophet said, he still had that humility. So we understand that, yeah. So there's like, so even within knowledge, there's, um, I guess you can classify them in like different uh, subgroups. So there's like, like purification of the heart versus like actually um, practices that you should do. So is there like a recommended, like you should kind of focus on everything instead of focusing on one area? Uh, I mean, you know, you have to kind of, it means little by little. The first things, the first things that we have to learn is the outward, the outward sciences, right? Aqidah is the most important because that is our belief. Without correct belief, your actions are futile. And then those things which relate to our outward actions, because outward ibadah is required of us. And then once that is perfected, right, that will then give birth to the inward ibadah. So that doesn't mean that we wait for the outward ibadah to be perfect before we focus on the inward. But once the outward is perfect, is perfected, then it will increase us inwardly. Right? Then that will, have, will be propelled inwardly. Um, but the first, the most important is aqidah, the inward belief, then the outward practices, and then the uh, inward like purification and whatnot. Um, and we, we kind of have to group them together, you know, um, because... You can't just be like, well, you know, you have to try and make your salah and those things valid as soon as possible, right? As quickly as possible. Um, but that's generally the priority when it comes to seeking knowledge. You know, that's why, like, like the purification of the heart stuff. Usually, the ulama will start focusing on that. At, uh, I mean, they'll they'll study it, they'll engage in it. Uh, much of it comes through the suhba of of the pious as well. Um, it's something more exper- ex- uh, experienced rather than learned. Although there is an academic side to it as well. But you'll find that the ulama, they'll teach the hard sciences their whole life. And once they have sort of trained enough people, other people to, to teach the hard sciences, they will then start focusing on the purification of the heart. Because that is more of a state to be in rather than something actually academic to be learned. You know? But we do have to strive. So we do have to, you know, that's why we, like, we make the good and we do some of these other things because it does start working on the inward. Because that is, that is also important, right? Rasulullah said that a person will not enter Jannah who has even a mustard seed of arrogance in his heart. So like that means as soon as possible, we have to try to remove the arrogance from our heart. And that is done through dhikr and the, the company of the pious. Um, so going off that, I heard a phrase where it's like, I'm saying phrase because I don't know where it's from, um, yeah. that after you do like the bare minimum requirements, like 
bare minimum, the best thing that you can do is like focus on your other. So. Uh, I mean, adab is very adab is very important, right? So it's kind of I mean, it all goes in line, you know. It's all it's all kind of connected together, because you know, being somebody who's rude and disrespectful, and um, you know, or not being sincere, which is related to purification of the heart, right? Doing things out of show can be a cause for all your other actions to be rejected. Um, so definitely akhlaq and adab are very important, right? Rasulullah also said that I was sent to perfect character, you know? So um, it's all, it's, all of that is important, but generally that's where the priority goes as far as the sciences of Islam. Um, you know, the different madaris and whatnot, they'll have, you know, I studied in South Africa, Sheikh Qasim studied in Yemen, yet the motto was the same, ta'alim, tarbiyah, and uh, what's it called? Uh, and tazkiyah, Right? Or sorry, uh, uh, basically, well, we used to say ta'lim, tabligh, and tazkiyah, right? That knowledge, da'wah, and purification of the heart, right? So people, will, different places will have different variations of like a word that's used, but generally it'll be the same type of, uh, the same thing, right? Uh, knowledge, da'wah, and tazkiyah to nafs, purification of the heart. So all of, all, of, all of those things are important, you know? But like, it can't be that Somebody, for example, like people actually say this, right, that uh, more important than learning how to make your salah valid is the khushu' that you have in salah. And that's not correct. Because you can have all the khushu' in the world, but if your salah is not, if your wudu is not valid, your salah never began. Therefore, you never prayed. Therefore, you have a lifetime of salah to make up <laughs> if, your salah, if your wudu is not valid, right? Uh, if khushu' was more important, well then, you could just sit and close your eyes and have more concentration on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the ones who go and pray, yet you're still sinful for not having prayed. Right? So even if you are performing salah in total heedlessness, the salah is still required upon you. So knowing how to make it valid takes precedence over the actual inner state of it, spiritual state of it. As well. Yeah. Any other questions? اللهم انت السلام عليك السلام تبارك تياتي الجلال والإكرام سمعنا وطعنا غفرانك ربنا وليك المصير اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وطهر قلوبنا وحسن فروجنا ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار عذاب القبر عذاب الموت ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به وعفو أنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين Ya Allah, protect us, Ya Allah. Guide us and protect us and keep us on the straight path, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, do not allow any of us to go astray, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant us strength. Make our iman strong, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, keep everyone safe, Ya Allah. Keep our iman strong, Ya Allah. And let us only act, guide us to only act in those ways that are pleasing to you and within your obedience, Ya Allah. And grant us the strength to carry out whatever actions it is that you require of us, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, let us love you and let us love Rasulullah And unite us with Rasulullah in the highest stages of Jannah. Protect us, protect our parents, protect our teachers, our mashaykh, Ya Allah. Guide all of them, guide all of us and guide all of our progeny, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we beg of you and ask of you for all the good that Rasulullah asked of you. And we seek refuge in you from all the evils that Rasulullah sought refuge in you from. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Which I think we have like 10 names left. <laughs>